His son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. quick announcement about the bake sale we're doing for the youth. We're hoping to do a fundraiser to raise support for the high schoolers of our youth group to go on a retreat called Impact. Um, it's a retreat that happens annually each year and it's been going on long enough that I myself went four years when I was in high school and it's something that had a great impact on my own walk uh, with the Lord and my own spiritual growth and the connection with my peers who are also following Christ alongside me. Um, so I'm hoping that this can be an opportunity for our high schoolers to springboard forward in their faith and, and their growth um, as they walk with the Lord. This year, um, as we gather together, there's going to be high schoolers coming from all over Iowa to impact to Coralville, Iowa. And we're going to spend time in worship, spend time fellowshipping together, and spend time learning about God's Word. The teacher this year is Jared C. Wilson. And I've read a lot of books by him, and he's, uh, his work has really impacted me. And as I was joking about in the first service, I've also seen one of his books on Pastor Steve's desk. So um, he's a really solid teacher and good pastor, and I'm excited to, for us to have the opportunity to sit under his teaching. So as far as the bake sale goes, I, I'm afraid I might have mis, misnamed it a little bit. We're not actually going to be selling you any desserts. The hope is that you will, by the Lord's leading, give an amount that the Lord has led you to give and take a dessert as a token of our appreciation. So we're not selling the baked goods, we're just asking for donations to help pay for the registration of some of our students and for our travel expenses. So to clarify, 
There's no prices or anything. The idea is that you'll go out, um, you can make a physical donation by giving a check and making it out to Creekside with a memo of Youth Impact Retreat and putting it in the drop box or you can put cash in the drop box or you can take, we've got little giving cards out there um, that have a QR code that will take you to our church giving page where you can designate giving to the Youth Impact Retreat. And so you can just take a dessert, fill it out later at home uh, if you want. So there's no prices, there's no bid, bidding wars or anything like that, nothing too exciting. Just on your way out, make your way by. If you feel led to donate, do so and please take a dessert as a, as a thank you. So I just want to thank you for supporting us and the youth ministry, um, both financially and for supporting us by your prayers. We're going to be going on January 5th to 7th. So be praying for our students that they'll be, be diving deep into the word and learning and growing and also for us leaders that we can keep up. Thank you guys. Thanks, Pastor Jesse. A lot of things going on this month. Uh, immediately after the, the service, I don't know if Debbie, if you're here, you can correct me. Uh, but there's a, a, a potluck for those who are involved in the rehearsal uh, for the program, the Christmas program. And so the, the idea is kind of hustle, hustle your little person in there and, uh, and get your food, eat quickly, and get back in here for the rehearsal. Okay? Uh, that's the idea. So I think they want to start about uh, uh, 1245 here for the rehearsal to make it as quickly as possible. The items are still available for your contribution out there. On the 24th of December, which is Christmas Eve day, it's on Sunday. Okay, We're having one service in the morning and one service in the evening on that day. So we're, just take note, we'll have... Uh, advertisements and announcements later but 10 a.m. we're meeting in here for the Christmas Eve day service 5 30 that night we're meeting here for a Christmas Eve candlelight service okay that's it let me pray father uh, I just uh, am so grateful for your mercy and your grace for your generosity in what we celebrate this time of year is the coming of your son, but we realize that he came for a purpose, and that purpose was for our redemption. And we are so grateful for your gracious gift that's available to all who believe. And we ask now that you'd open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. We pray that as the gospel is proclaimed throughout this city, throughout this region, throughout the world, that people might come to know you as our Lord and Savior. We pray that those who know you might be encouraged and emboldened in their faith. We ask now that you would take the truths of your word and uh, drive them home to our hearts so that you can change us for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just wanted to say thank you to the praise team. Uh, for leading us in worship uh, and uh, also uh, young people I, I don't know I think you're uh, dismissed for uh, Sunday school so I think if that hasn't already happened yet you're good to go and uh, I don't know about you but each Sunday I come and I'm just like very encouraged uh, because I'm not musical and so uh, it, it's just such a blessing to me to be able to worship the Lord and I just thank you all for using your talents and your abilities because I'm blessed uh, by it. So thank you very much. 
that has nothing to do with Romans 4, that, uh, but it has everything to do with uh, just thanking the Lord. There was this guy, and some of you, unless you're a little older like me, you won't really recognize this face, but Jared was the, was the face of Subway. And he was their poster boy because Jared lost a lot of weight eating Subway sandwiches. And so Subway made this, this claim uh, that a steady diet of their sandwiches would help you lose weight. And then they tried to prove it by pointing to Jared as the example of the dude that lost a lot of weight uh, eating Subway sandwiches. Now, it's, it's kind of a little sleight of hand thing. But anyway, that's, that's what they did. We haven't been looking at the life of Jared. We've been looking at what Paul has to say to the church at Rome. And Paul made a claim, though. Paul made a claim. And we looked at that claim in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 36, uh, uh, 21 through 26, uh, that, that God's gift of righteousness would be conferred upon all those who would believe. It's a bold claim. Because we're all messed up. Remember, we've been through Romans chapters 1 and 2 and 3, and we're all messed up. But then in chapter 3, verse 21, he says, hey, but I got a solution to the problem of your sin. Your, your terminal depravity can be cured if you would put your faith and your trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's the claim that he made. Then he began, he didn't just declare this claim, he defended the claim in chapter 3, verses 26 through 31, and we looked at that a, a couple of weeks ago, last week, okay? Now, he didn't just declare it, he didn't just defend it, now he's going, at the end of that, he, he kind of made allusion to the fact that this wasn't just something he dreamed up, but is actually validated, substantiated, and, and confirmed in the Old Testament. And so in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through, through 25, uh, Paul's going to try to uh, show us how that the salvation by grace through faith, that justification by faith, is consistent with, not contrary to, what's true in the Old Testament. And so he appealed not to the example of Jared, like Subway did, and his, his, uh, his life experience, but to the reality of Abraham's life and the reality that Abraham experienced to substantiate, to illustrate, and to punctuate the fact that justification by faith is a central truth of the Bible from beginning to end. It's not just some invention that Paul made after Christ was already born. No, it's rooted in the Old Testament precedent. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 4, because in the verse 25 verses... The, Paul offers three pieces of evidence that justification by faith not works for all who believe is verified in and does not nullify the Old Testament. Some of you remember if you're here in chapter 3 verse 31 he says well then does faith nullify the, the law? He says no on the contrary it, it evidences the law. That's what he's now beginning or wanting to set out to prove. Don't worry, we're not looking at all, verse, all 25 verses today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And in verses 1 through 12, we see the first two of these evidences. I'm going to read chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. If you have your 
tablet or your phone or you want to reach under the seat in front of you, there is a Bible. Or if you have your Bible with you, that's fine. I'm reading from the New American Standard. The text is printed on the screen in front of you. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him, or counted to him, or credited to him, depends on your version, as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned or counted as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted or reckoned as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of Uh, the blessing upon the man to whom God reckoned righteousness apart from the works from works blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered blessed are those or blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also That's what he asked. How, how is it? How, then he says, for we say, in verse 9, faith was reckoned or counted or credited to Abraham as righteousness. Verse 10, how then was it reckoned was it, or counted? Was it while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. Verse 12. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are, the circumc- are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Okay. That's a lot of circumcision and uncircumcision. But we're going to hopefully try to unpack that and, and, and get to the meat of it. The first evidence that I think, uh, that I see in the text, and again, it can be broken down in different ways, but the first evidence I see in the text that Paul gives for the fact that justification by faith is validated by, confirmed in, not contrary to the law of the Old Testament, is that we, like Abraham, are justified by faith and not works, verses 1 through 8. Two important Old Testament facts support justification by faith. First, Those who believe are counted as righteous apart from the works of the law according to Scripture. According to the Old Testament Scripture, not the New Testament Scripture. Now, Paul uh, has, there there are three tactics that he employs to prove that Old Testament belief is counted or considered as righteousness. First of all, there is this exploration of what the law says. What does the law say about justification by faith? Paul begins with this question, what shall we say, what shall we say? Well, what shall we say in defense of the claim that justification by faith is both for the Jew and the Gentile, that it's consistent with the law? What do we say about that? That's the claim he made in verses, in chapter 3, verses 27 through 31, that it's for the Jew and the Gentile, it's not just something for the Jews. What do we say about that claim? That Abraham, our forefather, he says, Abraham, our forefather, who's, who's Abraham? He's the forefather of the Jewish people, okay? That he was the greatest of the patriarchs. He was the guy that they traced their lineage through, through whom they traced their lineage, their physical inheritance. 
and the guy by whom they, they received this covenant, that they were God's special people, that they were chosen by God, especially by him, and in whom they, they measured what the standard of righteousness was. Uh, Abraham was a big dude, big deal for the, the Jewish people, okay? He was important. And he was according to the flesh. He says, our Ab- Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. Well, okay, here's the deal. He mentions Abraham because he was the most likely guy that they could appeal to, that they would appeal to, the Jewish religious people, they would appeal to to disprove justification by faith. They would point to him as the guy that, no, he was justified by, by his works. It's most widely accepted in, in Paul's day that, that Abraham uh, was declared righteous because of his obedience, because of what he had done. Um, because he was just a righteous guy and he, he had followed the law in his obedience to the law. So whatever way Abraham was justified, that would be the way the, most, the Jewish people would say, that's how you're justified. That's how you're declared righteous before God. That's how you are forgiven of your sins. That's how you are saved. Whatever worked for Abraham, that's what's going to work for us. Says whatever Abraham has found, what Abraham has found in regard to righteousness and being, and that that applies to everyone. Verse two, then he says, "For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about." So hypothetically, Paul's saying, "Okay, we're going to look at Abraham." And now let's just say hypothetically, if he's if he's justified by works, which all of the Jewish people said he was, I mean that's what they would believe. If he was justified works by works, then he would have a reason to boast about. And then so could everybody else who was justified by works. We could just boast about that. That would, that, would, that would work. Because like him, we would be saved by what we do. Right? If we just did enough things, we, here's the list, you know. You know, check, 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 check. Got them all checked, good to go. You could boast about it. Um, I brought something a little visual here this morning. Uh, some of you uh, will know what this represents, and some of you won't. But uh, in the old days, uh, when people had cows, they used to milk their cows. And then they would put the milk in uh, a cream can uh, or a milk can. And then they would take it to the store or take it into town, and then they'd sell their milk. Okay. Well, this one was made by my father. Uh, so it was, it's a recreation of it, but it's made out of wood. And I look at it, and I, I was very impressed by my father's work. And so this is something my father could boast about, because he did it. He took the wood, fabricated the wood, uh, turned it out on a lathe, made the staves that are in it, and made this pattern, call, did it all, and he did that. Wow, good for you, Dad. When it comes to salvation, none of us can say that. But if Abraham could say it, then, then we could say it. And so that's where Paul's going. If Abraham can say it, we could say it. Paul then answers his own question. Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by faith, uh, apart by, the, by works, I'm sorry, justified by works, he has something to boast about. Now notice the end of verse 2. But not before God. Okay, boom. He just, he just nixed it. You know, he just nixed it by faith. That's what it is, not works. He, the, the works thing, no. Paul's abrupt. 
but not before God, declared that justification by works was theologically and scripturally unfounded. It's not good. You can't do it. It can't be proven. It's an impossibility with the scripture. All right? Then there's the exclamation of what the law says about it. Okay, so you say it doesn't happen. What does the law say? Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? That's what he asks. Okay, where are we going to go? How are we going to find out what is really true? He says, look at God's word. Four introduces the reason why Abraham can't boast. Verse three, look at the verse. It says four. That's the reason why Abraham can't boast before God. And he, he introduces it by asking, what does the scripture say? The infallible truth of God's word takes priority in discerning what we think, and what we do as Christians. The infallible, inerrant truth of God's word in discerning what's proper in every situation, and particularly here with emphasis on how is a person declared righteous before God? Well, let's look at God's word. And what is God's word? Is it, let's see if it's consistent. Is righteousness by faith consistent with or contrary to what Scripture says? And so Paul says, okay, I'm going to show you. He quotes the Old Testament. And that's the quote that's given in verse 3. It's Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned, it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed, and it was counted. This is the Old Testament version of Romans chapter 3, verse 28. You have your Bibles open, look up at verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Applied to Abraham. Oh, that truth applies to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. So Genesis 15, 6 is the application or the mirror of Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 in the Old Testament. It was applied to Abraham. His belief and that alone was credited to him by God as righteousness. It wasn't his good works. It wasn't his great faith. It was the gracious gift of his great God. Not his works, not the greatness of his faith, but God's gracious gift. Because you're counted righteous not because of what we do. We're counted righteous because of what Christ has done, and then God uh, imputes that to us. We'll get to more to that later. God means, uh, the, God's means whereby his grace, his redeeming grace, is received and un, uh, by the undeserved sinner so that we're justified is by faith. Faith, what do you mean, just faith? Faith in faith? No. Faith in the atoning work of Christ. We looked at that in chapter 3. In the fact that he died on the cross, paid the price that we deserve to pay, so that by faith, his righteousness comes on us and our sin is placed on him. That's it. It's not by works. It's by faith. It's by Christ's work, not our work, Christ's work. Removing any cause for boasting. First Corinthians chapter thirty, verse uh, first chapter one, verses thirty and thirty-one says this: "But it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus." That's God, due to God, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him, the one who boasts boasts in the Lord, not in us, but in the Lord. If we know Christ as our Savior. It's because of what God has done for us. We're completely dependent upon Him. <clears throat> My son's uh, father-in-law, uh, 
when he was uh, alive, he, he was traveling home from work, and he saw a, uh, an injured bird on the road. It was an owl. And uh, he a, he's a, was a taxidermist and uh, outdoorsman guy, so he stopped alongside the road, and he took this owl, I mean this wild owl that was injured, and he put it in his car, and then he hauled it home, and then he took it to the, uh, like, uh, the apiary refuge, a bird refuge place, and they nurtured it back to health. Now, that bird, if it could talk, would never say, man, I was so good, and I did such a great thing by, you know, I delivered myself. Every one of us is like that bird. There's no way we can rescue ourselves. If we're rescued, it's by the grace of God in his mercy, through the work of Jesus. Not good works, no. Sadly, there are too many people in our world, and the world is full of them, who actually believe that we are going to be rescued by God, we're going to be delivered by, not by, by his work, but by our work. I actually was appalled when I was sitting in a ministerial meeting one time, and uh, we were talking about uh, some things, and there was this pastor of a Christian denomination and he said to me, you know, here's the deal. You believe you're saved by faith and we believe you're saved by baptism. I could give you a list of all kinds of um, examples, but that's going to suffice that it's, it's, it's rampant. And when I talk to people in my study and I ask them, I say, you know, if God were, if God, if you were to stand for God, why would, why do you think he would, he would accept you into his, his glory? Why do you think he would accept you into heaven? Time after time after time, I hear this response. They say, well, you know, I'm, I, 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 I've been pretty good. I, I did, did some nice things. I've, you know, I'm better, basically, what they're saying. I'm better than a lot of people. It's a works-based salvation. But Scripture argues otherwise. If you look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20, he says, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Nobody is going to be justified because of what we do. We're only justified because of what's been done for us. And the person and the work of Jesus. Then he concludes here with an explanation uh, of, of what the law says about justification in, in verses four and five, he says, in verse four, now uh, he says, now as to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is done. When you get paid, uh, if you're still working, some of us are not, you know, some some here aren't working full time, you know. If you get paid, do do you do, or when you got paid for doing your work, did you go? Wow, that was really nice of my employer to think so well of me and just kind of give me that, that nice check. No, you went, I earned it. I deserved it. it. It should have been paid to me. Well, this is what he's saying here. The one who works and gets paid, that's what they're due. That's not how it works with regard to salvation. You know, that's, nobody is going to say, I, I, I didn't expect that paycheck. On the contrary, if you don't get paid for your work, you're going, where is my paycheck? 
Just as faith was credited or counted as righteousness to Abraham's spiritual count as an unmerited favor, so too for us. Same way. Abraham's was counted righteous by, me, by virtue of his faith and it works that same way for us. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God's grace which is unearned and undeserved. It's not giving us what is due. <laughs> if we got what was due, we wouldn't be saved. We'd go to hell. But we get what's not due. And it's not based on work. Saving faith is, is not a work. It's, it's the repentant heart responding to what Christ has done for us, God's gracious gift of forgiveness through faith. That's, that's, that's you know, through his sacrifice. It's us responding. It's not, not a work that we do. Verse 5, but, the but contrasts the one who works with the one who doesn't work. Or do, and, and the work, they don't trust in their work for salvation. We're ungodly. And there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves that makes us acceptable to God. But the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Who's the one who justifies the ungodly? God. So the one who believes in the one who justifies the ungodly, that person's faith has counted to them as righteousness. What does it mean? I'm going to go back over this, and we're going to you know, we kind of review some stuff. But what does it mean to be credited or counted or reckoned as righteous? It's a, it's a legal term. It's legal action of graciously depositing Christ's righteousness to the believer's account. Okay, you got a bank account? Christ's righteousness is, is deposited in your account because our sins are credited to Christ's account through his atoning sacrifice and then proclaiming that person is forgiven. It's a divine, the theologians call it the divine transfer. Christ's righteousness placed on me and my sin placed on Christ so that in his death he paid the penalty that I should be paying for my sin. And that is all effectuated. That transfer happens because of faith, my trust or my belief in what Christ did. 1 Peter 2, and I've quoted this before, verse 24 says, he First Peter 3, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And 1 Peter 2, 24, he, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross. We might die to sin, our sins on him, we might die to sin, and live to righteousness, his righteousness on us. That's what it is. And that's how it works in Christ's work. So, Prior, now this is a, well, so how is it that Abraham was, uh, was, was saved by faith in the cross work of Christ? Because Jesus hadn't died yet, right? This is the big thing. And so here's what I would say to that. Christ, the prior to the cross, all believers, including Abraham, looked forward in faith to Christ's payment for their sins. Okay? So Abraham, in whatever capacity that God gave him ability he was looking forward in faith to Christ's sacrifice for his sins in the same way that believers now look back on the death of Christ in faith as the payment for our sins isn't it marvelous how the scripture is consistent from Abraham all the way through it's 
Salvation is by grace through faith in the cross work of Christ. It's not just faith in faith. It's not faith in hope of some nebulous thing. It's faith in the work of Christ. Salvation is a gracious gift of God received by faith and not by works. Nothing we can do. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. So nobody can boast. If you're saved by God's grace, there's no way you can say, oh, look at me. God got a prize when he got me. Any one of us who's saved knows it's exactly the opposite. I'm only here by the grace of God. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't know where I'd be. But wherever it would be, it wouldn't be good. On December 25th, 1868, President Andrew Johnson extended unconditionally and without reservation a full pardon and amnesty for all the, all the offense of treason against the United States of all of the Confederate soldiers. Now, what did those Confederate soldiers do to earn the pardon? Absolutely nothing. Just as that pardon was freely extended apart from the offender's own efforts, so too God's pardon is offered as a gift received by all, beginning with Abraham, by faith. You see, a pardon extended must be received. Those soldiers could have denied it. They could have said, we don't want it. We're going to suffer the consequences. Same is true for us, every human being. The pardon has been extended. The question is, have you and I received it? And the only way to receive it is through faith. Repentant acceptance. That I'm headed in a direction contrary to God, and now I accept his death as the payment for my sin that I deserve. And apart from it, I would spend an eternity in hell. But by his grace, and I, I receive it. And now I'm not a subject of his wrath. I'm a child of the king. Secondly, we see that, we see that, that justifi justification by faith is, is, is a marvelous and mind-boggling truth. It should inspire us believers, you know, uh, to fear him and to revere him. And it should motivate unbelievers to repentance. But it wasn't just a matter of him, um, uh, uh, us believing. There's a second point that I want to make here. And that has to do with the fact that uh, those are blessed who are counted righteous apart from the works of the Old Testament. Okay, uh, apart from works in the Old Testament. So it, it, it's not that we're, we, okay, we're not saved by faith, but then the question becomes, who all is saved by faith? And we look at verses 6 through 8, uh, and, and, and David says, those who are blessed, uh, those who are blessed, there's a, there's a benefit. 
There's a benefit of salvation. There's a benefit of receiving Christ. There's a benefit of justification by faith. Those who are blessed, who are counted righteous apart from the works of the law in the scripture, verses 6 or 8, just as David also. Interesting, isn't it? He had appealed to Abraham as an example of the one who believed in justification by faith. And now he's saying that David even was believing in justification by faith. And David said it in Psalm 32, which is quoted in verses 6 and 8, or 7 and 8. He quotes it, okay? Just as David also speaks of his confirmation, the greatest king, the father of the faith, how was he saved? By faith, not works. The greatest king, how was he saved? Faith, not works. And he testifies to it. Okay? The blessing spoken about by David in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, which is quoted in verses 7 and 8, that blessing... That, he, that, he's, that he's speaking out uh, is, is, is received by everyone justified by faith. What is that blessing that's received by everyone who's justified by faith? What is it? Forgiveness of sins. Psalm 32. Look at it, verses six, 7 and 8. Blessed are those who are, are, who, whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Blessed, are, and, and then it says, and their, uh, their sins are covered. Blessed are those to whom the Lord does not take their sin into account. You're forgiven. The blessed, the most, what does it mean to be blessed? That, that, that's the question. I, I, I said. Blessed means favored. Okay? You're blessed, you're favored. It means you're envied. <laughs> kind of weird, isn't it? To be envied. Blessed means favored. It means favored in this sense, that by, uh, you're favored by God as, as the recipient of his undeserved kindness. I didn't deserve it, but I got it. It means to be envied by all who desire that kind of acceptance. Uh, the people who have been forgiven have received forgiveness that they didn't deserve. And then other people look at that and they go, wow, that'd be cool. Uh, now, not most people you say, no, no, they're not looking at me that way. Well, the honest reality is, if you kept reading in Psalm 32, verses, down verses 3 and 4, you'd see that he says, when I was silent, my, my bones were, were uh, you know, wrestling within me. He expresses the, the weight and the, the, the guilt, the weight of guilt upon him is tremendous until he confessed his sins and was redeemed. This is David. He knew what it was. Uh, yeah, uh, Psalm 51 tells us he knew what it was because uh, the whole deal with Bathsheba, he confessed it. He, he says, uh, you know, uh, my sins have been washed white as snow. So he knew what that guilt was and, and he had been relieved of that guilt. I... Uh, I knew of a, a college graduate. The college graduate received a, a brand new car from their parents. I'm thinking, favored by dad and mom, yeah, for sure. And envied by everybody else. <laughs> wow, wish I could get a new car for graduation. You know, or just get one. I don't need to have to be graduation. Just get a new car. Every believer is blessed. Because our sins are forgiven. A gracious gift favored by God. And we are envied. The envied of the world because the world lives with the oppressive nature of guilt. 
and, and, and the torment of sin that, that's laid on them, but not those who are God's children. It says the child of God is blessed because his lawless deeds and sins are forgiven, which according to Psalm 32, like I said, verses 3 and 4, are in an intolerable burden. You know, before you're saved, sin is a weight. And once you're saved, when is, sin is not a weight. It's been forgiven and, and our sins are not taken in, lifting the guilt, liberating us from the corruption and the condemnation that our sin gives. Forgiveness is possible, not through our works. First John chapter 4, uh, verse 10, uh, John says this, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We looked at that word last week, right? It's the atoning sacrifice. It's the, the, the sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God against our sins. And Jesus did it for us. And so we paid it. The price paid to release us from the control and the consequence of sin and make us acceptable to God. What's the price? The blood of Christ. That's the price that was paid for our pardon. And the pardon purchased was, was by his blood. It was credited to our account. So that that payment was credited as if we had paid it. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve condemnation. Being justified, those as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Saved by his grace. Authentic believers are free. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are free. Free, not, not, not you know, Martin Luther, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. But free from what? I'm free from the power of sin. Sin no longer is my master. I'm free from the penalty of sin. Sin no longer is my condemnation. I'm free in Christ. But the text goes on. It doesn't just say that, that we, like Abraham, are, are justified uh, you know, by faith apart from the works of the law. Secondly, we're, like Abraham, justified by faith, not ceremony. Now, this is verses 9 through 12. And uh, honestly, I, I struggle a little bit with this. It, it's hard to put, distill all this into like one little statement. Because the emphasis here is twofold. The emphasis, as I see it, is twofold. It's on the reach of justification as well as the reason for justification. We're not saved because we work. We're not saved because we're engaged in some ceremony. But the salvation is for everybody. Okay? And so I want you to see there, uh, there are three steps in Paul's proof that salvation by faith is by faith, not circumcision, which is the issue he's talking about, and that that salvation is for all who believe. Notice there's a question. He says in verse 9, is this blessing, what blessing? The blessing of salvation, the blessing of justification that has its attendant consequence that we're forgiven. What is, is that blessing just for the, the, the Jews or is it for everybody? Well, that's not the exact wording, but it's, is it for the circumcision? Only, or is it for the uncircumcision also? That's the issue. Is the blessing of salvation by faith, whereby our sins are forgiven, then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? Now, why is the big deal of circumcision? For us, it's like, well, I don't know. We, we know what circumcision is, but it's not that big of a deal. But for the Jews, especially those to whom Paul was writing, 
this was a huge deal. It was a sign of their, their unique and privileged position as God's people. That's what marked them out as God's people. They were part of the covenant relationship. This is Genesis chapter 17. They were part of God's covenant people. And it was considered a necessity. Once you were circumcised as a Jewish person, that was the mark that you were a child of God and that you were redeemed, you were rescued, you were saved from condemnation. You were on God's side, not the the enemy's side. Uh, The theological term is a meritorious work. It had merit. It was providing the only means for and giving them exclusive claim, we're we're God's kids. So if you're one of those uncircumcised dogs, Ah, too bad, you're out, you know? No. He says that's what they believed. And that they, they held to that, right? They held tightly to that. But righteousness based upon religious observance, you know, it's still an issue. It's still an issue. You know, I said earlier about the person who said, hey, look, uh, you believe we're saved by faith, we believe we're saved by baptism. It's it's a problem in the world today. Paul settled the question, you know, about the requirement for salvation and the reach of salvation with a declaration. Notice what he says in in, uh, the end of verse 9. For we say, for we say, and that's where all the, you know, we say that Abraham was, you know, declared righteous by faith. And so that's what we say. And he's a Jew. That's what we Jews say. And if we Jews say that he was saved by faith, then it's probably just true for us Jews who are circumcised because that's where we get our our salvation. No. For we say something agreed upon by all the Jews that faith was credited to him by his righteousness. God graciously counted Abraham's faith as righteousness and he mercifully did not count his sins against him. I mean, he's just referred to Psalm 32, right? So you're, you're, you're blessed are the ones whose sins are forgiven or lawless deeds are, are forgiven and their transgressions or their sins are not counted against them or covered over. Well, if you're a Jew, you're good. That's what he's saying. Well, does this prove that salvation is the exclusive property of the Jews? Of Abraham and his descendants? Well, then he comes to a conclusion. So is it just for us? Look at verse 11, or verse 10. How then was it, was, was, uh, was it reckoned? How was his righteousness reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but uncircumcised. So if it's only for the Jews and circumcision is the deal, then how is it that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised? Circumcision can't be a requirement if Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. And if he was cir- justified before he was circumcised, and circumcision is not a requirement, then salvation can't be just for the Jews who believe that circumcision is the only reason they're saved. Did I lose anybody? Well, that's the argument. So you can go back and read the argument. But the point is this. Abraham was not saved because he was circumcised. And if Abraham, the father of their faith, was not saved because he was circumcised, then nobody else is either. And if he was saved not being circumcised, then circumcision can't be a requirement for being saved. And so people who are not circumcised can be saved. They can be justified apart from the works of the law. So that that justification 
preceded, you know, the, 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 this declaration, now there's a conclusion, that justification preceded circumcision. And there's two considerations. How does that apply to Abraham? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And uh, it'd be interesting to go through the chronology there about when Abraham was circumcised. Well, just for the long story short, he was circumcised uh, when he was 99 years old. That's in chapter 17 of Genesis. But in Genesis chapter 15, he was declared righteous by, by faith, which was before he actually gave, uh, he was, uh, Ishmael was born in chapter 16. And in fact, before Ishmael was even conceived, and it was, he was 86 when Ishmael was conceived, and 99 when he was circumcised, that was 13 years. So at least 13 years before he was circumcised, he was declared righteous. That's the genealogy that proves it. Abraham was justified by faith as an uncircumcised Gentile. Get that. Oh, Abraham was a Gentile when he was saved. True. Right? So all of you elite people who think that circumcision is the deal, guess what? The house of cards just fell. And what this does is, it undermines ritual observance as a requirement for salvation. And the idea that redemption is exclusive property of just one nation, the Jews. But so you then you say, well, what was the point of Abraham's circumcision? How, how, what value did it have? How is it important that he was circumcised? Well, there's an implication for all in verses 11 and 12. Look at verse 11. It says, and... Uh, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Ooh. Gentiles are saved by faith. And he received the sign of circumcision, which was more. It was not just an external mark, identifying him as part of God's family. But it was a seal. Notice how the text says he received the, the sign and, and it, as a seal, okay? Now, a seal, like, confirms it. A seal declares it to be true, all right? That's what a seal does. Abraham's, uh, <clears throat> and it was by virtue of faith, which he had while uncircumcised. Abraham's circumcision wasn't the condition of his salvation, but a confirmation that he was righteous and possessed that righteousness on the basis of faith when he was uncircumcised. Now, I'm going to get a little danger here, but uh, just bear with me, okay? We do believer's baptism here. And I'm not saying that circumcision is believer's baptism. Not saying that. But what I am saying is that believer's baptism, when you're, when a, we believe that when a believer is baptized, that doesn't make them saved. It just confirms that they are. It's not a means of their salvation. It's a mark that they already are. Well, that's the way it works. It's the way it's always worked. There's some sign that, or mark that identifies you as a believer, doesn't make you a believer. And so Abraham had the mark, but the mark didn't make it happen. He was already a believer before he was ever uh, uh, circumcised. And why is this important? Well, there are two purposes for this circumcision. Prior, or uh, the circumcision after he was declared righteous. 
Two reasons why he was declared righteous before he was circumcised, but that he was circumcised. That he might be the father of all the uncircumcised believers, showing everybody this is the way you get to be in right relationship with God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the way it is. It was a way for Abraham because he was uncircumcised uh, when, he, when he was a believer, and that's how he was saved, so it's a way for him. It's a way for those who are circumcised. It says that in verse 12. You can read it later. I'm just kind of abbreviating. It says that in verse 12. Because he was the, the father of not only the circumcised, to everyone, get this, every one of us, every uncircumcised believer, he showed us, all of us who are previously and habitually rebellious, obnoxious, arrogant, self-indulgent, proud, and ungodly, that we're declared righteous by faith. That's the way it worked for Abraham. That's the way it works for us. And it's not just them. But he goes on to say that he's a spiritual father in verse 12 of the circumcised believers. The Jews, they're saved. What? How? By following the steps of his uncircumcised faith. Even if you're circumcised, the only way you're going to be rescued, the only way you're going to be declared righteous is through faith. Just like Abraham was declared righteous. Both uncircumcised and circumcised believers are justified by faith in the gracious payment of sin's penalty by our Savior on the cross. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 6 and 7, uh, Paul says, uh, for Abraham was counted, uh, Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. So know then that all those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Whether you were circumcised or not circumcised. It's whether you're of faith. You are the sons of Abraham. Unbelievers, if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and you have never personally put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're dead in the water. You're toast. Because your sins deserve God's unmitigated wrath. And I don't say that with pleasure. The only hope is for you to repent and believe. So Jesus told them on the road to Emmaus, after the disciples, after he appeared to them uh, at the end of that story of the road to Emmaus, he said, but these things have been written so that you might uh, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins. All I'd say to you is justification is by faith. There's no work you can do to earn your way to heaven. The only way is to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And I challenge you and I commend you, commit to you that you should do it today. Only Christ's righteousness, Christ's righteousness will be graciously credited to you. Securing your pardon because your sin is credited to him. The sin must be paid for, either by you or by him. Only by faith is it paid by him. And those of us who know Christ, well, the entire Bible teaches us that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. From beginning to end, it's all by faith. So, a couple of things, three things, four things I want you to remember. That, let, let's, let's rejoice that by faith, God's marvelous grace ensures, it ensures uh, uh, several things. It ensures that the press of sin's guilt and despair is lifted. Its power is short-circuited. 
and its punishment is averted to us. Let's refuse to boast in that which we have been given. I don't run around bragging and say, look at that, you know, pretty nice, right? It's a gift that I didn't deserve. And so is salvation. I don't boast in it. I'm grateful for it. I'm forever indebted to Christ for it. And we rely upon God's word. Guess what? What a beautiful thing is Paul says, okay, I've been talking about justification by faith, and how am I going to prove it? I'm going to go to the Old Testament. I'm going to prove it in the Old Testament. Everything, everything, everything we do, we need to go to the word. Where stands it written? What does God's word say? How should we view all the things going on in our chaotic world? Well, what does God's word have to say? I don't care what some expert has to say. I care about what scripture has to say. That's what we rely on. And then we remain faithful to share with people the message. The message of Christmas is Christ crucified on the cross, risen, buried, and, uh, and, and uh, buried, risen, and seated on the right hand of God, coming back again. That's the message we carry. And you know what? Uh, in, a, in a moment or two, we're going to celebrate communion. But when we do, the bread and the juice are just symbols pointing us to the price that was paid so that we could be pardoned. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for this message uh, from the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and I know, Father, it's, uh, it's kind of funny because you hear, hear the same thing. And yet, Father, I pray that for some of us, you would use that repetition to drive home the truth that we need to hear. I pray for some who've never put their faith or their trust in Christ, that they would see the marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that is greater than all of our sin. And those of us who know you, that we would come to more fully appreciate all that you've done for us in Jesus. In whose precious name we pray, amen. The second candle on the Advent wreath represents peace often called the Bethlehem candle. This candle reminds us of Mary and Joseph's journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem before Mary gave birth to Jesus. It also builds on the meaning of the prophecy candle, recalling that after the division and destruction and the dispersion of the kingdom of the Old Testament, there might finally be peace on earth. From Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Listen for the word of God. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register, along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. Salvation. 